everybody, you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast brought to you by discipleship.org. I am your humble host, Dave Stovall. Can you say that? If you say you're humble, are you really humble? I don't know. This episode is not going to talk about that, though. This episode is about reaching men for Christ. And I got to say, these last four episodes have been incredibly powerful and useful for me. I got people in my church being like, did you hear those track sessions from Better Man? You've got to listen to those. So if you're listening through these and you're thinking, man, I got to share this with my friend or my pastor or my friend who leads worship at a church, will you please share these episodes with them? It will help them out. and It will also be helpful to discipleship.org. And I thank you in advance. All right, without further ado, this is Better Man's fourth and final track session. Let's jump in and hear what they got to say. Hope you enjoy. All right, here we go. Last time together, then after this is the last session, and discipleship.org 2022 comes to an end. I hope you all have been blessed. I hope you've been enriched. I hope you've met new people. We've been talking about um, manhood, masculinity, specifically the state of manhood today. Men need the Bible. Men need theology. Let's talk. Let's get super practical and just talk about how to give it to them. D groups, discipleship groups, cohorts, whatever you want to call them. They've been around for a while. I'm not saying I have the answer. I'm just saying I have a answer. And I want to share with you what's worked well for me and what's met the need of men, especially the state that men are in today. I do not call them D groups. I like the term cohort, so I run cohorts. C-O-H-O-R-T. I've heard everything from fire teams to SEAL teams to D groups. I don't necessarily think the language is that important. It is, um, but it's not not the end-all, be-all. I call them cohorts. When I come together with a cohort, when I'm looking for men that I want to get into a deep biblical, theological, spiritual relationship with, I ask a few questions. One, I ask of myself, do I have time? Do I have time? Because if I'm not committed, they won't be committed. The second thing I ask is, do I have anything to teach these men? And I just want to I just want to stop there for a second. We shouldn't always assume we have everything to teach everyone. Now, I do believe uh, we do have some to teach some people, but we've got to find those right people. There, there are men that I should be learning from versus I should be teaching them. So um, when I'm looking for men to pour into, I'm asking the question, do I have anything to teach these men? Thirdly, I'm asking them to make a commitment. So I'm saying, hey, I'm going to give my time to biblically, theologically, spiritually invest in you. I want you to give your time to be receptive. I'm always looking for men who present themselves as teachable. I'm telling you, if I'm hiring somebody in a church, side note, if I'm hiring somebody for a ministry, people ask me all the time, what's the number one thing you're looking for? I am looking for teachability. I am forever a student. I myself am teachable. And I'm looking for teachable people. Matter of fact, the root word, the root meaning behind disciple is learner. We are all learning. So I'm looking for men who are teachable. And then lastly, I am asking them, 
once you finish with this, will you reproduce it? I'm going to give you a framework to use, not necessarily the framework, a framework. You can morph it. You can play with it. But it doesn't mean anything if you're not willing to reproduce it. Disciple, you're not a disciple, or at least you're not a good disciple until you're making disciples. That's the point. We need to be disciples who are making disciples. So this is what this looks like for me. I cover four things when I meet with men, the four things I think men need. And, and this is the headings. The first is what I call the life of the mind. The second is the life of the spirit. The third is the life of the word. And four is a life of service. Life of the mind, life of the spirit, life of the word, life of service. I did not invent that. Dr. Brian Hurlbut invented that. In my opinion, he is the foremost thinker on gender-based discipleship. If you haven't heard of Dr. Brian Hurlbut or read any of his stuff, um, I would strongly encourage that. Dr. Brian Hurlbut. Life of the mind, life of the spirit, life of the word, and then life of service. So let's talk about what those things mean. Life of the mind. Here is what we are seeing today. Men, and the younger they get, it gets worse. We don't know how to think. We don't know how to think. We specifically don't know how to think critically. People accuse me all the time of being critical of the church. I am not critical of the church. I just think critically about how we do church. And there's a difference. Because our society has largely frowned upon critical thinking, because we don't teach critical thinking even anymore, we don't teach things like civility and speech and rhetoric and philosophy and these things, because of the advent of technology where you don't necessarily have to think critically, critical thinking is a lost art. It just is. And again, we could unpack that for days, but I don't think I have to convince you of that. Just, just get on Facebook for about an hour and then come back and talk to me. <laughs> Critical thinking is a lost art. So one of the things, the first thing I do in help discipling men is I help them to start thinking critically. I will provide them with resources and go through resources with them that help develop, and this is key, a Christianly worldview. I want to help them start thinking like a Christian. If you tell a lot of church members, even if you tell a lot of pastors today, um, explain to me your Christian worldview or define what a Christian worldview is, again, they can't tell you what that is. They don't necessarily know how to think about things Christianly or from a Christian perspective. So one of the things that I love to do is begin to equip men with a Christian worldview. A key book in this, it's a short resource. Men can devour it in a few days is Philip Ryken's book entitled, What is a Christian Worldview? It is one of my go-to resources. R-Y-K-E-N, Philip Ryken, R-Y-K-E-N. What is a Christian Worldview? He gives a phenomenal stat in that book. Line up 10 men. He said, line up any 10 men in the church. 
Nine of those ten men will have young sons that walk away from the faith. Eight will be dissatisfied in their work. Seven will struggle with pornography. Six only pay the bare minimum on their credit cards. Four will get divorced. And one has a Christian worldview. And he said, because only one of the ten has a Christian worldview, we experience the other things. Philip Rikens argues, and I agree to some extent, that developing a Christian worldview and thinking Christianly about things is paramount to the life of the believer. I love meeting with young couples and doing marriage counseling, and I always, I think Christianly about marriage, right? So I always tell them, you think marriage is to make you happy, but what if I told you marriage is to make you holy? Kudos to John Piper on that. That's not me either. But what if I told you marriage is to make you holy before it makes you happy? And let's think about it like that, because there are times when I look at my wife and I think, what have I done? And I know there are days that she looks at me and says, dear God, help that man. <laughs> and if love, if you think love and, and sex and desire will be the only thing that sustains you in your marriage, you are wrong. You need to start looking at marriage Christianly, not worldly. That's the life of the mind, things that will help develop their mind. If you are of a certain theological dispensation, you can pick up books like What is Reformed Theology by R.C. Sproul or What is X by whoever. You can pick up books like that and have them walk through that, have dialogue discussion with them. Second thing, life of the spirit. I want to inform and I want them to develop healthy spiritual habits. Healthy spiritual habits. We are creatures of habit. We are habitual, habitual learners, thinkers, doers, creatures of habit. In everything we do, I do it with what I eat. I don't know about you, but if I find a good restaurant, I will wear it out. The first church I ever pastored at, Outside my office, you could look across the street and they built this thing called Qdoba. I didn't know what Qdoba was. I went over and had Qdoba for the first time and I fell in love. Everything I ate was Qdoba. We're doing counseling sessions, we're at Qdoba. We're catering events, we're at Qdoba. Qdoba did a phenomenal thing. They started getting those reward cards where every 10th meal was free. Boy, I'm racking those up. Free meals, free meals. I ate Qdoba solid for about a year. Catered my wedding in Qdoba. This is a true story. I'm sitting, I'm sitting in my living room one night and a California number comes across my phone and I answer it. And the guy says, is this Chris Harper? I said, yes, sir. He said, hello, my name is such and such. I'm the vice president of Qdoba. <laughs> I said, for real? He said, you're one of the top customers in our region. We just wanted you to know that. We have loaded your card up with meals for a month. You can just eat on us. It's a true story. Next day, what do I do? Where do I go? Qdoba. I go to Qdoba. I get my, I get my regular three cheese nachos, not, uh, chi, uh, uh, chips on the side, and I go to the, to the little hostess, the girl at the, at the checkout stand, and I hand her my card, and I kid you not, she slides it, and she looks, and she goes, oh, my God. You're the Chris Harper. <laughs> she said, I got to get the manager. He wants a picture with you. 
At that moment, I went back to my office. I repented, A, <laughs> for the idolatrous nature of my heart. I've had, to, I've had to curb my affection for Qdoba. But I say that to say, anecdotically, we are creatures of habit. We need to know what is forming our desires. What is forming our desires. One of the best resources for this, one of the best thinkers in this space, is a man named James K.A. Smith. He wrote a book called You Are What You Love. And it is so so good. When we talk about spiritual habits and spiritual desires, there is something that is forming them in us. We need to help men see what that is. There was a Russian philosopher in the 80s. He wrote a book. Um, it, was, it was not a good book. It was called Roadside Picnic. Terrible title. It didn't sell a whole lot. In the 80s, Hollywood picked it up and made a movie about it called The Stalker. Terrible movie, see movie, nobody watched it. But there's a very important principle in that book. So the whole book is centered around an um, apocalyptic town, this, this nuclear town that's been laid to waste. And in the center of this town is, is a room. They call it a room. That's just the name of it in the book. It's the room. And if you can get inside the room, you get the desires of your heart. Whatever your heart desires, the room will give it to you. So, so there's two people sitting at a bar one night, and this guy called the guide, right? A little, little Holy Spirit kind of reference. The guide comes in and says, hey, I can take you two men to the room. And they said, no, it's dangerous. We're not going to do it. He said, no, no, I do this all the time. If you follow me word for word, I can take you to the room. So the two men agree to go. So they set out on this journey to go to the room. It's interesting. On their way to the room, they pass a man coming back who's very wealthy, very rich, but he's sad. You learn later in the book that him and his brother had set out to go to the room. And on the way, his twin brother dies. And he tells himself on the way to the room, if I can just get to the room, I will get my brother back. I can have my brother back. But remember, the room gives you what your heart really desires. So when he walks into the room, he doesn't get his brother back, but he gets fame and wealth and riches. He's so disappointed in himself that he hangs himself when he gets back home. So these two men follow the guide to the room, and they get to the room, and they're standing outside the room, and the guide says, now when you go in here, you are going to get the desires of your heart. It may not be what you think you want, but it will be what you really want. They're so afraid that they refuse to go in, and they go back home to be with their family. When we think about discipling men, we need to help them understand what it is, what it is they truly desire. John chapter one, the first two would be disciples. They see Jesus from a distance and they say, can we go talk to him? And John the Baptist says, yes, of course you can. So they go to the other side and they say, rabbi, they say, teacher. And Jesus turns right there. John chapter one. What's the first question Jesus ever asked anybody that would ever follow him? Not what your name, not what you're from. Jesus says, what do you want? In the Greek, you know what that word is? Jesus said, what do you desire? That's the, that's the first question he asked the first disciples, and it's the question he's been asking every disciple ever since. What do you desire? So we need to help men discover what is it that you really desire and then help them shape and form those desires. I love James K.A. Smith. He talks about the, the liturgies of today, how the number one liturgy in the West is the liturgy of nationalism. 
And we worship that. He talks about the liturgy of the shopping mall. He talks about the liturgy of Sunday afternoon football, which is the biggest worship experience in the state of Texas every week. You'll love that resource. James K. Smith, you are what you love. That's the life of the Spirit. The life of the Word. The life of the Word. When I'm discipling men, I pick a book of the Bible. I pray about it. Pick a book of the Bible, and then we walk together through that book. As we walk together through that book, I assign eight questions for every passage of Scripture. Men on their own have to read the Scripture, and they have to answer these eight questions. When we gather, we talk about these eight questions. Question one, what do you like about the passage you read? Super simple. You read it. What did you like about it? Question two. What did you find difficult to understand or confusing in this passage? What did you find difficult to understand or confusing in this passage? Question three. What does this passage say about man? What does this passage say about man? Question four. What does this passage say about God? What does this passage say about God? Five. What, how does this change how you see God? How does this change how you see God? Seven, six, how does this passage change how we treat others? How does this passage change how we treat others? Seven, and I tell them to be, be specific, how does this passage change you? And then lastly, was there a promise to keep or sin to avoid? Was there a promise to keep or sin to avoid? And what happens is they write these out and I don't go in and do a deep dive and I don't share, share with them where I thought maybe they were wrong or whether now if they're completely off the rails, I address that. But I let them experience that. I let the other men talk about what they saw and then take notes. And before long, you can walk through the book of Philippians like this. And at the end of it, at the end of 10 months, you have an entire commentary that you've written on the book of Philippians. Again, this is nothing new. This is the premise and the basis of inductive Bible study. It's just asking questions around how to discover the truths of Scripture. That's all it is. That's the life of the Word. It's the most important thing. The Word of God is the most important thing. But we're just going to walk through it asking those eight questions every single time and just sharing, just sharing those eight questions. And then lastly is the life of service. The life of service. Men learn best together and men grow best together when they swing a hammer together. So I am constantly, 
constantly looking for opportunities, constantly looking for ways to do life together, to serve together. Now, you've ever seen the movie 300, you've heard of Sparta, right? Grecian warriors, things of that nature. When they were, when they were training up young men, they kind of had like this three-phase model, right? Uh, the first model was separation. They would separate out the boys from the girls. They would separate out the young men. Why? Because, because we best learn with people of our same gender. And because men and boys, boys in particular, they just act different when women are around. If you're doing discipleship groups or if you're training men and then you sprinkle in women, it does not have the same effect. That's not just, that's not just in the church, that's anywhere. I'm a big proponent of this. I can show you a study, a recent study of the new superintendent for the Memphis public school system, Memphis, Tennessee public school system. The worst, the worst district graduation rates were, were bottom 20%. He comes in and separates the schools by gender. 80% graduation rate. I mean, you just can't ignore these things, right? Now, society wants to continue to push against those things and push back against those things and, you know, say that that's bad or that's not right or these are the downfalls and pitfalls. And again, it's not great. I get it. There are some social things and things of that nature, but nothing, nothing compares to gender-based discipleship. And again, Sparta was doing this from the beginning of time. So there's a period of separation. After the period of separation, there's a period of initiation, so we separate the men, we initiate the men. So I have a period of initiation, and that looks different for you. It looks different in your context. That's fine, but it's going to include forming the life of the mind, the life of the spirit, the life of the word. And then after initiation, there's, there's what I call, um, uh, and it's, it's, it's nothing groundbreaking, but it's, it's almost, it's almost like reconciliation, but you're reconciling the man back into society, but you're doing that through service. Man was built to serve society. Man was built to serve his home. Man was built to serve his wife. So there's this separation, there's this initiation, and then there's this, this kind of reconciliation unto service. This is, what you're, this is what you're now to do in your community. And we're doing that around the life of the mind, the life of the spirit, the life of the word, and the life of service. I typically run that on 10-month increments. I take two months off and then I do it again. I run it for 10 months, take two months off, I do it again. Depending on the men I'm working with, sometimes we get through two or three books. Sometimes we get through only one book of the Bible. Sometimes we'll get to two books of the Bible. Whatever it is, I do it for 10 months. I'll take two months off and then I'll do it again. Out of If I've got two, three, four men I'm doing it with, the reality is only one of them will go and multiply. That's the reality. So think about that. If I did that every year, if I discipled three or four men every year and then I've got one to go be a multiplier, that means in 20 years of doing this, I've discipled 20 people. If you become a man who can intentionally disciple 20 people, you will become part of the 1% of disciples in the world. 
This is no offense to other ministries that had these big goals of we're going to disciple a million people, right? One in particular, we're going to get X amount of people to disciple this amount of people. The reality is you're not going to be able in your lifetime to disciple 100 people or 200 people, not personally. But if you do it like this through the process of multiplication in your lifetime, you can disciple hundreds of thousands of people. You just start with a few. I'm going to do this with three or four men. And then on a good year, man, I got two or three guys that go out and multiply. And then after you do this long enough, I haven't, um, I haven't got to this point yet. I'm almost at this point. But once you get 10, 15 years in, right, all those people, those, those let's say you do three a year for 15 years, those 45 men, you can, start call, you can start calling them back together and checking in and saying, hey, man, how's life? Hey, what's this look like? Who have you discipled? How's this working for you, Right. And you go from like a cohort to a tribe. You can go from a tribe to an entire, an entire nation. But that's how I do it. Again, um, that's how I was taught, trained to do it. There are other ways out there, different ways to do it. But focusing on those four things, helping men think critically, helping men think spiritually, helping men think biblically, and then calling people to a life of service. Any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about that? Yeah. Yeah. So early on, I really want to drill down into the why we do these things, right? And not just, not just doing them. Because once again, remember what we said a couple of sessions ago, men want to know the why, right? So men want to know why should I pray, right? So I really try to drill down into like why you're not praying, right? I have a buddy who says, well, I just don't believe in prayer. That's why I don't pray. And I told him, I said, bro, your problem's not with prayer. Your problem's with God. It's not that you don't believe in prayer. You just don't believe God responds or God hears or whatever disconnect you're having with God. That's your problem. It's not with prayer. Prayer is a method, a mechanism, a habit. You've got a problem with God. That's what you need to wrestle with, right? And I love what some of the Puritans would say, right? We don't, the things, the things we think we don't need God for, we don't pray about. There are things right now in your life that you're not praying about, and that's because you think you have it under control, when the reality is you are holding on by a thread. And one thing can change that. What we don't think we need God for, we don't pray about. So I would do an inventory of my life right now, man, what am I not taking to the throne? What am I not taking to the Father? These are the things I think I'm in control of, and when all reality, it's God who's in control. So I really try to drive home the, the why and, and what and, and the reason why we do or do not these things. And then, and then I'm going to jump into some solid, solid daily habits that are going to enrich me spiritually, right? The number one would probably be the reading of the Word of God. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community 
for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today. Now, there's a difference between reading the Word and studying the Word. And you need to do both. The way I describe it to men, reading the Word is like raking leaves. Studying the Word is like diving for pearls. You need to do both to have maintenance, right? You need to do both to have success. So every day I spend time, or at least I try every day to spend time reading the Word of God. Whether that's one verse or two chapters, I try to get into the Word. Uh, And then also every day I'm trying to study the Word of God. I can't study chapters at a time, but I'm taking certain portions of Scripture, or if I'm giving a talk or preaching somewhere, I'm jumping into a study. I'm trying to go deep. I'm using simple resources to do that. I'm using a a good study guide Bible. I'm using a a well-known commentary, something of that nature. There's a couple of great websites like Desiring God or Discipleship.org that can help in that. But the number one thing would be the daily intake of of the Word, right? So in the Bible, Bible when it says, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the the word renew there in the Greek is is. It's less, it's less restoration, and it's, and it's more um, reconstruction. Like, like when you redo your bathroom, what they do is they come in, or you do. Again, you notice that? I give most of that away, right? They come in, and they rip out everything that's old, and then they put in what is new. That's what, that's what Paul is talking about there. That's the Greek context behind that. When we renew our mind, the Holy Spirit is ripping out everything that's old and he's putting in it the things that are new. Well, how do we get that newness? Where do we get that from? We get it from the word of God. Like that's where the renewal takes place. That's key. It's the word of God renewing our mind, right? I would also add to that prayer. I would also add to that generous living Generosity is a telltale, a telltale symptom sign of your heart health. Are you generous with your time, your talents, your treasures? One of the things I do for my children, they get a birthday card from me. Inside that birthday card is two $20 bills. One they get to keep and one they have three days to give away. I do that for their birthdays, for Christmas, things of that nature. I'm trying to instill a generous spirit. And listen, I teach my kids we're rich to help the poor, but we're rich relative. I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy. Matter of fact, I need one of you to buy me dinner. Not really. Maybe. But we can be generous with our time, our talents, our gifts. So generosity, I'm trying to instill, instill generosity into, into um, people I disciple. I'm discipling a guy right now. So we meet every Tuesday morning. And we've been going through, and, and him and I have been meeting for some time. And um, uh, he's not rich by any means, but um, he owns properties. Uh, he owns about 20 properties, rent homes. 
and he has a uh, employee that has been working for him for 10 plus years. He says it's his most faithful employee. So we're meeting, we're meeting on Tuesday and he says, Chris, I have something to tell you. He said, I can't tell anybody else. I just want to tell you. And I said, what is it? He said, you know, Ricardo has been working for me for, for 10, 12, 15 years now. And he's been renting a home for me. And, and I told him I'm going to sell him the home on contract deed. And him and his wife were so happy. They were so happy that I was going to finance and the buying of the home. He said, but, um, um, he said, we got to the deed office, Chris, and I just gave him the house. He said, I looked at him and I said, hey, man, actually your last month's payment was the last payment you ever make. I'm just going to give you this house. And he just starts weeping. He said, I've never done anything like that in my life, and I've never felt that in my life. I said, feels good, don't it, bro? He says, Unreal. <laughs> Don't give them all away. <laughs> no, I mean, the Holy Spirit leads you. I don't know. But he just, he said that's the first time he had practiced radical generosity. He said he loved it. I said, man, that's the Holy Spirit working and you're listening. You're being responsive, right? I had a brother who told me the most fleeting feeling in the world is the feeling of the Holy Spirit. He will prompt you one second. If you don't respond, he will be gone. It's the most fleeting feeling in the world. I remember praying at church. My pastor had us pray, had us pray that we would encounter someone in need of our generosity that week. I remember sitting there Sunday. It was Mother's Day. I'll tell you why I remembered it. I said, Lord, just bring somebody into my path today, this week, that needs to experience your kindness, your compassion, your generosity. Service was over. I was getting to my fiance's house, who's now my wife, and it's Mother's Day. I didn't have anything, so I stopped at Kroger to get a dozen roses for her mom. And I'm in line, and I'm standing there, and there's a guy in front of me. He, I'll never forget it. He had a pack of bologna and a loaf of bread. It was $7.28. He scanned his card, and it said declined. And he scanned his car and he said, declined. And he scanned a third time and it said, declined. And he turned and he looked right at me. And I just stood there holding those flowers. I had just prayed. I had just prayed 30 minutes earlier. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit prompted me, this is the moment. <laughs> and I stood there with the flowers thinking, I hope this guy would hurry up. I'm late to lunch. And he leaves his bologna and he leaves his bread and he walks out the door and I buy my roses and it doesn't hit me till I get to the truck. And I said, oh, that was the moment. <laughs> that was it. And I missed it. And I missed it. Making them receptive to those moments, man. Just being aware of the presence of the Spirit. Great question. What else? Where does service fit into your 10-month run? Yeah, I try, I try to do something, if not monthly, at least once every two months. We're doing something together. And, and, and your routine is weekly for different things? Absolutely. Mix them all up. Typically, um, no, no, no. It's, we're typically doing two or three of those at once. We're always doing the Word, and then we're probably doing the life of the mind or the life of the Spirit in conjunction with that. Yep, yep. Yeah, you know, um, if you want something to go, it's got to be, so three things. It's got to be simple, it's got to be biblical, and it's got to be reproducible. I love what my brother just asked. How replicatable is it? Um, I, think it I think it's replicatable, um, but there definitely is, a, is another level of commitment. 
You know, there's, there's a commitment involved in meeting weekly for 10 months. That's not easy to do in today's society, which is why I'm very strategic in who I ask. And I always give people an out at the beginning. Listen, if you don't think you can do this, it's not going to hurt my feelings. Right? But I've had great success. Most people stick with it. Um, every now and then, one in, in a bad year, two will drop. But most people are, are, are wanting it. At least people at this level are wanting that. One day a week. Typically in the mornings. Yep, this particular group, my Tuesday group, we meet at 8 a.m. every Tuesday at the same coffee shop. One hour. Very, very respectable of people's time. Now, the conversations through the week are great. The text messaging through the week, the videos through the week, the lessons through the week. I'm constantly sending stuff. There's dialogue. Um, we may be meeting up for lunch or dinner, things of that nature. So there's a relationship beyond the one-day gathering, but just specifically for this context, talking about that one-day gathering. Yep, yep. So I pray about that. Um, uh, we're doing Ephesians this time. Nope. Just whatever the Lord leads. The principle is those eight questions and then taking that to the other books. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, um, Joshua, uh, Malachi. Um, my go-to is usually Ephesians and Philippians. And I love Philippians, especially if the people aren't as mature as they should be. Um, I love Philippians. Philippians is the only epistle that Paul writes that there's not an admonishment in it. The entire letter is an encouragement. Most people don't know that, but um, next time you look at Philippians, look at that through that lens, you'll see that he's not really um, chastising them for anything, unlike the Corinthians who he's beating over the head with a stick. Yeah. <laughs> Very helpful. Thank you so much. You probably already shared this, but I just want to ask again if I missed it. So when you go through the the life, those four principles. Uh, where do I have that? The life and the mind, and mm -hmm. those four things. Yeah. So when you get with them that that hour, that's just getting with them for some spiritual time. Yep. Yeah. But then you're doing the other. You're trying to find ways, creative, natural ways to connect with them with the other three other things you're doing throughout the month. Yeah. Within that 10 month time before you take that break, right? That's right. Right. And I will always be referencing, like like if they're reading Riken's book, like we'll say, read these 10 pages before we meet next time and we're going to talk about those 10 pages, but we also may reference that during the week as well. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't like heights. So so I'm not I'm not jumping off of anything. Um, camp, I, I mean, I will if I have to sacrifice. But yeah, yeah, we do, you know, different engaging things, whether it's paintball, whether it's go-karting, whether it's axe throwing. I mean, we like to live life together, going to catch a game, things of that nature. It doesn't, again, theology is everywhere. You don't have to, you don't have to have a super spiritual environment to be spiritual, right? It's just looking for those moments to inject spiritual things. Never bigger than four. Yeah. Never bigger than four. And I'm in a season, including myself, and I'm in a season right now where I'm actually doing two groups and I'm not liking it. So I'm doing one on Tuesday mornings and I have another one on Thursday mornings that meet at 6 a.m. So I was up in my hotel at 6 a.m. on a Zoom this morning um, with three other men. 
Uh, I typically, I don't like the Zoom. I like it to be in person, but since I had to be here this week, um, that's it. And I'm not really enjoying the experience because I, I, I've spread myself too thin. Last question. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a balance, right? We're looking for a congruency. That's my man, Eugene Peterson. He said whole, the whole of Christian life is trying to find balance and congruency, right? So yeah, I disciple my family first, first, right? Uh, now, luckily, the Lord's given me a high bandwidth, um, so he's blessed me with that, and I, 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 I do run with a pretty high bandwidth. But even then, we all have our limitations. I have my limitations, uh, I am admitting right now that my scope of control is getting out of control. I should have not have taken on the second group. Um, and what's going to happen is the second group is going to suffer. It's not going to get everything my family or the first group is going to get, and, and I, I, I won't repeat that mistake in the future. No. No, I'm trying to give them my all, though. <laughs> so, so I know you're talking about, really talking about consistency, especially week to week, but we all know things happen. So how... Tolerant are you of absence? Yeah, two, typically in 10 months. And then I ask them not to come back. And you do specifically say, I can't, you're not working with me or whatever you say. Yeah, yeah, probably wouldn't say it like that. Just say, hey, man, we're, you're not ready for this or it's not convenient for you right now. No worries. We'll catch you on the next time. But yeah, two absences is typically what I allow. Yeah, I wouldn't call it two strikes. Yeah, but absolutely from the front end. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a big time commitment for sure. So, so you're really straightforward with this is what is, we're, are the expectations for this time period. 100%. Because we all need that. I mean, that's one of the things we need is that clarity. Clarity. Of there, there are three things that I ask. One, you stay teachable. Two, you attend. Three, you replicate this. The only thing I don't necessarily have control over is the replicating piece, but I'm encouraging it as much as possible. But those three things are non-negotiables for me. Like if, it, if we're not going to at the very least get those three things, I'm just, it's, my time has to be directed somewhere else because of family commitments, professional commitments, things of that nature. Great question. Yeah, so for something to go... It has to be simple, biblical, reproducible. And that's exactly what Jesus would tell us. Any other questions? Yes, sir. So when you get with these men in this discipling time and doing life together, are you seeing uh, them in the big church on a Sunday environment a lot more alive? Do you see a difference? Do you see... Uh, oh, yeah, the world a difference. It makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And again, it's not so regimented once we get there. Last week, something happened in the group that, that took up all the time, but it was absolutely a crisis. And that man needed those other three men. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. So we didn't get to the life of the mind that day because my brother was sitting there crying and didn't know, didn't know how to respond. Right. And we tackled that. Right? And it's something that we're following up in. So, so again, there has to be structure, right? That, that whole idea in the 80s and 90s that discipleship was just going to happen organically, yeah, that's out the window. Like there has to be form and structure, right? And it doesn't happen fast, right? I tell people often discipling men is like wind carving a stone. If you want a good visual image, that's what it's like. It's like wind carving stone, 
But have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? Oh, man. At the end, it is beautiful, and it is powerful, and it is strong. Once that wind, once that spirit gets done with it, so good. Hey, so check this out. Um, if there's no more questions, I just want to leave you with this. Uh, thank you so much for the time we've got to spend together. Um, if you want to check us out, it is at betterman.com. Super simple, betterman.com. We offer a life-giving definition of what biblical manhood is. The four W's, a real man courageously follows God's word. A real man loves and protects God's woman. A real man excels at God's work. And a real man betters God's world. The resources are free. This is not a bait and switch. You don't have to subscribe to anything. Literally is. You log onto our website and everything is free. Everything that I've written, everything that Dr. Robert Lewis has written, all the videos, everything is free. You have access to all the content. You can white label the content. We don't care. Take it and put your church or your ministry logo on it. We are not mad at you. Our copyright attorneys will not call you. It is for you to use. That's what Better Man is. Everything is built around those four W's. We release new content regularly, whether that's through our podcast blog, and then we even have new uh, small group, large group church curriculum um, coming out in the next two years. We're releasing new content every six months. The Lord is doing a pretty cool work. It's been fascinating to watch. Um, we've had about uh, a thousand churches and about 50 or 60,000 men go through it in the last two years. And we've been super excited to see what the Lord's going to do with that. Yes, sir. Could you just talk a little bit we have time, that versus the 33 series and how they're different. And one of the things I just heard is that the videos are like 15 minutes long, which really crunches discussion time. Yeah. So how's the new format versus the old? That's great. So uh, he brings up a good point. I don't know if you all know this, but but we that's us. So Men's Fraternity 33 is us. Uh, it's just called Better Man Today. Um, um, so that's us. Uh, everything then was a little little heavier, right? If you don't, if you recall, Men's Fraternity was 24 weeks. You're not going to get anybody to do anything for 24 weeks, <laughs> right? So what we offer now is this 10 week curriculum. It's fairly concise. It's simple. You can do one of two things with that curriculum. You can teach it live, which is what we encourage you to do, or you can watch a video. We have a video that goes with every week. We have four different video speakers. Some of them, yes, are longer than others, um, but some of them are way, way shorter than that. The typical Better Man gathering lasts about an hour and 15 minutes. Our four speakers are Derwin Gray out in North Carolina, Jonathan Pakluda, who was a big-time college minister, um, Tim Lundy, who used to be the spiritual director at DTS, and then Jaime Loya, who does it in Spanish for us. I will tell you, we are adding new content. Matter of fact, we are filming a series right now, filming two series right now, and everything will be shorter. As a matter of fact, you will see us in the future going towards those 10, 15, 20-minute clips because that's the way learning for men is going. Uh, but great question. Great question on that. Not everything is going to be 50 minutes. And then not every session is 50 minutes. There are some things that takes a little longer to unpack. Yes, sir. Question for you. Since we've been in this for a while, um, what metrics are you measuring to know that you're winning? Like yeah. You guys through 10 months, and they're replicating one, but you may have two or three that don't do it. Yeah. How are you? Is there anything that you're measuring going 
We know this records the time. We have our scorecard. We know we're winning. We need to make adjustments. Oh, bro, so good, dude. What is your name? Man, Kaiser, such a great question. Remember, men won't play in the arena if they don't know how to win, right? We won't play. So this is how I measure success. I measure success by faithfulness. And I'm looking at the lives of these men, and I'm asking myself, are they being faithful? Are they being faithful to their families? Are they being faithful to their church? Are they being faithful to the world, right? And I'm measuring everything by faithfulness, not necessarily by excellence, not ex necessarily by, you know, uber success, but by, by faithfulness, right? Um, you know, I kind of get a bad rap sometimes because I am a Calvinist and um, people ask me all the time, well, how do you know you're one of the elect? Well, I know I'm one of the elect because I make it to the end. <laughs> because I'll make it to the end. And if I don't make it to the end, then I'm not one of the elect. <laughs> it's because I run the race, right? And I see a lot of people drop off in that race. Now, again, we're not here to argue where they saved and just fell away or where they never saved. We can do all that another day. But at the end of the day, you know how you're going to get to heaven? You show up at heaven. You finish the race. Right? So I'm looking at men that I go through. I went through with three years ago. And I'm calling them and texting them and say, hey, man, I just had a guy call me that I haven't seen in, I haven't seen in years, Drake Hatfield. And, and Drake said, man, how's your walk? I said, I'm still running after King Jesus. He said, me too. I said, glory. I said, you know I me, mean? men, I've seen fall off in the last five years. Drake, you're still loving your wife well. You're still serving your church. You're still running hard after King Jesus. I am. Praise God. That's the metric. That's the metric. Great question. Anything else? Man, I want to share this with you. Um, when we talk about our own spiritual temperature, and I love to share this with everyone, when we talk about our own spiritual temperature, um, I'm going to lean on my boy A.W. Tozer, my charismatic brother. A.W. Tozer wrote one of the best things I've ever read, and it's something I've practiced for 10 plus years now. A.W. Tozer said, the discipline we practice the least is the discipline of self-reflection. So A.W. Tozer created a series of seven questions. He called them the seven questions of self-discovery that he would regularly ask himself and then he would gauge where he was at with his relationship to Jesus. I keep these in my Bible. They've been in my Bible. They're worn. You can tell they've been in my Bible for many, many years. I am constantly, if not weekly, I am almost daily asking myself these questions. If you answer these questions honestly, you will get an honest picture of where you are with King Jesus. So I'm just going to read them, and you don't have to answer out loud. I'm just going to give us a moment for each one. I just want you to either write down your answer, write it in your heart. This will, this will give you a good temperature of where you are as a disciple. Question one, what do you want the most what do you want the most question two what do you think about the most especially when you have nothing you want to think about ask yourself where does your mind always go where does your mind run to not too long ago, I couldn't sleep. I was up late one night watching C-SPAN. have no idea why I was watching C-SPAN. Couldn't sleep. 
And the CEO of Netflix, the CEO of Netflix was giving his quarterly board report. And I'm watching this. And it was, it was unreal. The shareholders asked the question. They said, what are we going to do about Amazon Prime and HBO Go? And I watched the CEO of Netflix start laughing. And he said, Amazon Prime and HBO Go are drops of water in an ocean. He said, our biggest competitor is sleep. Sleep. He said, I want you to want to watch Netflix more than you want to sleep. I want you to think about that. We are getting conditioned, man. Where does your mind go? Are you so programmed, so conditioned to think about nothing? Where, 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 where does your mind go when you've got nothing else to think about? What do you think about the most? Thirdly, how do you use your money? How do you use your money? I tell young people all the time as they're getting marriage, most of you will not have a big ministry platform. Most people don't get to oversee national ministries. Most people don't get to preach to thousands of people or sing to thousands of people. Most of us will never have what the world calls a mega ministry platform. But you have two things that will influence people more than anything else. I call them the two M's. What you do with your marriage and what you do with your money. Those two things can change people's lives. So what do you do? How do you use your money is what Tozer used to ask. Four, what do you do with your time? What do you do with your time? Especially when you find that you have idle time on your hands. Where does your hands run to? And I'll confess, man, I fight this all the time. My hands want to run to that remote and I want to catch the next Netflix series. I want to catch the next game. When you have time, what do you do with your time? Fifth, what company do you enjoy? What company do you enjoy being around? And I'll be the first to confess, man, I'm not naturally drawn to Christians, and that's a problem. That's a problem. I don't know why I don't enjoy, I do know why I don't enjoy my brothers and sisters more. It's because I'm spiritually immature in that area and weak. But what company do you enjoy? Six, who do you admire? Who is it that you're looking up to? Who would you call your heroes, your role models, people you aspire to be like that? Who do you admire? And seventh, maybe most convicting, Tozer would often ask, what do you laugh at? What do you find amusing? And can I just make a confession to you brothers right now? There are far, many, there are far too many things I find amusing that I think break the heart of God. And my society and my habits have conditioned me that way. And I just need to repent of that. What do you want the most? What do you think about the most? How do you use your money? What do you do with your time? What company do you enjoy? Who do you admire? And what do you laugh at? If you honestly answer those questions routinely, you will gauge where you are with God. Father, we give you thanks for this time together. I thank you for the men in this room. Lord, I've gone over by a minute, and I know they have a session to get to. So, Lord, I just want to ask a couple of things. One, 
Continue to grow us in the likeness of your Son, King Jesus. Give us what we need. Give us who we need. Give us everything we need to conform more to His image and to be more like Him. I pray for that, Father. I pray for that for me and my brothers and sisters in this room. Secondly, Lord, make us fishers of men. Give us a desire to go make disciples who make disciples. Let us start in our homes with our wives, with our children. Let us go to our friends, to our colleagues, our co-workers, to those in our church, to those outside of our church. Lord, I pray that you would stir up a disciple-making movement and you would start right here in this room with terrible carpet, Lord, and, and, and in the middle of Tennessee, God, you would start right here. A disciple-making movement, Lord that there would be somebody in this room. Man, I often I often think about the celebration Peter got, the celebration Peter got when he got to heaven. But what was it like for Andrew, Lord, who brought Peter to Jesus? Come on. Oh, that's what I want. I'm praying for a room full of Andrews, God. I want to be an Andrew. I don't care to be a Peter, God. Make me an Andrew. Make Make my life one that's just bringing people into the presence of the King. Jesus, we love you so much. We pray by the power of your Spirit that you would do this in us. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life that you offer to any and all who call upon your name. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, it has been great. Thank you, guys. Fantastic stuff from Chris Harper and the Better Man team. I hope that you enjoyed those episodes as much as I did. Hey, coming up next, we've got the track sessions from Moana. So you're going to want to stick around for that. If you haven't already, I would really appreciate it if you would click the subscribe button on wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. So you can stay up to date each time I release new episodes throughout the week and also special episodes throughout the year. Thanks so much for listening as always, and I hope that you have a fantastic day. See ya. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today.